Welcome to Board Games Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 284, Best of Queen's Game. We'd like to thank all of our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. All right, Anthony, we are back. And we are back with one of the best board game companies out there, Queen Games. Yeah, you guys know these guys they're the ones who for a long time sold everything for ten dollars on amazon and now sells everything for eighty dollars on that kickstarter so yeah queen's games has had a long storied history so many games out there and their iconic box that really kind of like lets you know this is a queen's game typically fantastic productions and a wide range of artists designers and levels of gaming so for our feature review we're going to take a look at Queen's game collections and pick out the best of the best on a light, medium, and heavyweight gamer styles. But before we get into that, there is so much going on with us, Anthony. What's going on with BGA? Well, we talk about this every week, and uh, for good reason. It's fun. We want you guys to know about it. We have a, a Patreon up, and of course, you can join us and help support the show. Um, we're doing this awesome stuff. Obviously, we, you know, we want as many people involved as possible. And the last few weeks, we've been doing our weekly collection episodes. So this week, Chris's newest episode went up. Yours, volume four now, I think. Yep. We're up to. Um, of <laughs> Infinite. <laughs> it's never ending. It's never going to end. It's never going to nope. end. <laughs> so yeah, every week we're going to go spend like 30 minutes, each of us alternating, talking through our collection. Like I said, Chris is on four. I'll be on four next week. And then five, and then six, and then seven, ad infinitum forever. Uh, we might mix in some other stuff, though, just to sure. keep ourselves sane. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of fun. We kind of run through all of our games, why we own them, why we haven't played them, why we have played them, why maybe we'll get rid of them or won't. You know, like all that stuff that kind of comes up when you go through your own collection, right? And I know I can't speak for you necessarily, but from my case, at least, I'm finding a lot of stuff. And I'm like, I own this? Oh, yeah, I do own this. Why do I own this? oh yeah i should do something with this you know <laughs> it's like those moments of revelation on the podcast are, are a lot of fun so uh you can check those out every week they are up there along with all the other good patreon stuff yeah and all of our patreon backers are patreon producers so they have a large say in what we do and how we do it so please jump on and join us and kind of help direct the ship for bga let us know if there's something that you want us to cover on the podcast. All right, Anthony. So that's everything that's going on with BGA. Let's talk about what's going on with our listeners. What's our question of the week? All right. Question of the week is what game would benefit the most from a ground up retheming? So just Ooh. from scratch, let's just do it over. This thing's bad. Let's do it over again. <laughs> so this week is the fantasy flight report in flight report, whatever they call it. And I feel like they do one of these every year or two. They take an old set of mechanics and they slap a new theme on it. And I almost made my choices in this, just some of their old games like Netrunner. And um, honestly, they have like a hundred of them, but just anything that's out of print, just get a new theme on it. It's all good. But there are a lot of other good ones too. So uh, Brian mentions Gloomhaven. Uh, so he says he'd like to see this rethemed as a space exploration game with like flyer, Firefly-esque Reavers hunting you. Sounds cool. I mean... That kind of adventure game in general, sci-fi would be kind of cool because most sci-fi games are 4X or sandbox. 
neither of which is great for me personally. <laughs> so it'd be cool to see kind of a like a dungeon crawl, but in space. Scott says one that absolutely should be on this list, Mombasa. It is fantastic game mechanically. He says he loves playing it, but retheme it with Mars or a fantasy world or honestly, whatever. Just make it look nicer and get rid of the problematic theme. Doesn't really matter what education you put in the rule book. People are just going to know what they play on the table. And in this case, it's not great. So um, I would agree on that. Kyle mentions anything Feld. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> some of his games have interesting themes. Some of them are just like, yeah, we're trading stuff or it's Rome again. I don't know. <laughs> so uh, Francesco agrees. He says Luna by Stefan Feld. Um no idea what other theme could be used, but the monks, priestesses, and so on never really worked for him, whereas he does really like the mechanics. Trismegistus also loves the game, but the essence is ether and whatnot. Not really his thing. Ansa Teutonica, uh, really like that one, but totally ignoring the theme. And that one's just, that one's so dry. <laughs> so I, I could see that. Chris mentioned Space Base. A couple of me- people mentioned Space Base, actually. So I don't even think it's the theme. It's the problem. It's the implementation. Like... It makes sense with that theme, the way you're building it up. It's just super boring the way they did it. It's just about as generic as you could get. So I could see that. Uh, A couple other mentions here. We have Castles of Burgundy, Village. Village is about as generic as you could possibly get. So I'm definitely on board with that. Secret Hitler. And this one's obviously been done a bunch with like fan versions, but I don't know if they've done an official one. And then Tim mentioned Hate, which... sure. I would definitely like to see that rethemed because I'd like to play it and I will not play it in its current iteration. Sorry, guys. Throwing another one on the list for me, Stone Age. The theme just never really did it for me. Sure. I don't know. It's just not interesting, but is good and solid as an entry-level introductory worker placement game. It'd be cool to take those mechanics and put it on something else. Yeah, there's so many games out there that just haven't hit the table because of their problematic theme. So right there, there's so many of those. And a lot of them are just colonization games or exploitation games of native lands and cultures and stuff like that. And again, I own some of these, but I really would love to own them if they had a different theme. Because a lot of these Euro games do have just basic mechanics to it and this kind of really basic beige kind of theme thrown on top of it. The game that is not necessarily a problematic theme, but has no theme in my kind of opinion is Hansa Teutonica. Yeah. <laughs> which is a very good mechanical game. I own a copy of this game, but it's got to be the most dry Euro game ever created on this earth or any other earth or any <laughs> other universe. So anything you can do, anything, I don't care. Paint it purple. I mean, it could be about anything. And it's again, wonderful mechanics my game group loves it i picked up a copy begrudgingly because again it's as dry as can be so that's that's always one of those things too as far as gaming is concerned that there should be something else out there that really kind of brings the mechanics up to the level where they kind of deserve all right so that's everything that we want to hit the table if you would like to let us know what games you think should be rethemed, please hit us up on all our social media, Facebook, Twitter, is where a lot of those questions a week get answered. But you could also hit us up on BoardGamersAnonymous.com, our guild on Board Game Geek, our YouTube channel, 
And obviously, wherever you're listening to this podcast, those podcast players have great place to leave ratings, leave reviews, and just leave a shout out to us. We would love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening. All right, Anthony, let's get on to the games that we want to hit the table. Hopefully their themes are great. What do you got up for this this week? I got a great theme, actually. This is a good one. You'll like this. Renature. This is a new game from Kiesling and Kramer. So the famed duo of game designers. It's from Pegasus Beal, and it's got picked up in the States by Capstone, actually, which is interesting because this is like a family weight type of game. And Mm -hmm. I know they have their Simply Complex line. Maybe this is in that, but this is almost just like a normal family game. So it's kind of interesting to see them pick it up. But the game is about competing for the best ground as you restore a polluted valley. So basically, the board is just this big swath of land that's been polluted by us, obviously. And you're placing different animals and plants and things out there to try to restore it to its, you know, natural splendor, right? To overcome all the bad stuff that humans have done to this poor land. Um, And of course, because it is a game about plants, it is area control and it is therefore mean because you can't have a game with plants without it being mean. Mechanics in this are interesting. You have all these various pieces of wood, um, things that are like turf, bushes, pines, oaks, various types of plants that are going to be placed on the board to generate the majorities that are going to be how you score the game. Um, And you're going to be placing dominoes down on the board to kind of enclose different areas that will then be scored. Uh, The dominoes each have different animals on them and you have to match them up basic domino rules. So you're trying to control or I guess not control, but contribute to where the dominoes go, how big the space is, it gets enclosed, but then also at the same time, get your pieces in there so that you get the area majority of the enclosed space and score it. Uh, so it, in terms of like gameplay, it doesn't look horribly complex, but it has a couple interesting twists that I think are interesting. And I always like domino anything. Um, but thematically as well, it looks just, it's different. It's unique. It's ecological. It's not, you know, just typical nonsense. Um, and honestly, like for an area control game, there's nothing in here at all about combat or fighting or anything. It's just, you're trying to, you know, get this space that's being restored with your plants, not someone else's plants. So it looks interesting. Uh, I'm definitely going to check it out. I think it's coming out either later this year or early next year. They just announced it. So uh, yeah, Renature from Capstone and Pegasus Spiel. Yeah, it was interesting. This kind of blazed up the BGG hotness. And I took a look at this. I'm like, well, I hadn't heard about this. And as you mentioned, it's, it's an interesting, it's a different theme. And all the different, you know, plants and animals and bugs and stuff like that. Everything that's on these tiles that you put out really paints a really interesting picture, I guess, as you're reclaiming and renovating the land here too. Yeah. I I think the only thing, as you mentioned here is what will actually be the weight of this game? Because like you said, coming from capstone seems going to be a little heavier, but the game itself looks lighter. I mean, they haven't put a a weight rating on this yet. So older family members, you think? I don't know. I think, Let's try to see the German box says eaten up. So okay. I think it's pretty light probably. And it's under an hour. I wouldn't be surprised if it was like in the two, like two or even a little bit lower. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Well, I want to talk about an expansion that I'm really excited about coming up. Seven Wonders Duel Agora. Now this is coming out in 2020. We might hear more about this soon as the Gen Con online convention kind of happens but supposedly 
this coming late summer, fall. And if you haven't played Seven Wonders Duel, it's a two-player version of Seven Wonders in which you're drafting cards off this kind of like pyramid marketplace. And as you pull cards up, other cards become revealed. There is a couple of victory conditions. You can win by military. There's a little military track. You can win by science. There's a science track. Or you can win by the culture cards. Those are the blue cards if you played Seven Wonders. Now, there is a second expansion that adds the Senate. So there'll be a Senate board in the game, and it comprises six separate Senate chambers that players are going to be able to benefit from when they pick up a card from the general market tableau area. So by taking these Senate cards, you'll be able to activate the area, be able to get majority of there, and then again, it becomes another one of these race kind of victories. So if any player controls the majority of seats there, they automatically win the game. And now the last expansion, uh, Pantheon, for me was really great because I thought the science might be a little too strong because it's giving you a special ability, and that added another level to it. I don't know if I'll play both of these together or even if they both play together, but I like to have the options. And I really like to have the uh, political nature of that time period play in here. I've, I've gone on record saying I don't think that Pantheon adds to the game. I know a lot of people disagree with me, so I'm going to be on my own on this one. But <laughs> I'm just not a huge fan of it. I, I feel like the base game is so solid and contained and tight on its own that you don't really need that extra bit of rules kind of tacked on doesn't mean i won't check this out i don't know like i guess it depends on how it's implemented yet another scoring mechanic i don't know but <laughs> another track to, to keep your eye on as you play the game i guess yeah it's like one of those things like you get this light simple easy to teach game and the situations in which i'm going to play it are with people who don't need all that extra stuff so i'm like sure why would i want all this you know but at the same time there are certainly people who play this game in different situations so it makes sense to have sure. so it just doesn't make sense for me <laughs> Well, I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully it's uh, great, and hopefully we'll, we'll be able to come back with uh, you know, a review coming up. All right, so that's all the games that we want to hit the table. Let's talk about the games that did hit the table and tablet this week. And we'll let you know if those games are a buy, and you should run out and pick those games up. If those games are a play, and you should sit down and play them. If those games are a dodge, and you should avoid them at all costs. Or if those games are the dreaded burn, and they're just another expansion that Anthony will not play. So, Anthony, what do you have up for us this week? I have a few games that uh, I got to the table solo, so I'm just kind of kind of rattle them off real quick because I feel like I've talked about me or you have talked about almost all of these, so okay. not, nothing like outstandingly new. But first on the list is Sanctum. Uh, you reviewed this on 279, so just like a month and a half ago. So Ooh. not going to run through all the rules of this yet again because we already talked about this pretty at length not too long ago. But basically, it's Diablo the board game and they released solo rules for this official ones that you could download from their website and print out. And so I finally got around to teaching myself the game because I couldn't quite bring myself to spend the time learning the game when I knew I couldn't actually play it with real people. I was like, I'm going to learn this multi-handed solo, which I do with a lot of games, but I don't enjoy doing it if I can't then play the game sometime in the next, I don't know, month or two. <laughs> so... This one's been on my shelf since February for that reason. But with the solo rules, I'm like, great, I can play it solo. That's fine. Um, and like you said, the game is already kind of solo-ish anyways. They really didn't have to change very much to make it solo friendly. So mm. how it works is you set up the boards like normal for two players. Um, you set everything else up like two players. I think 
the achievements maybe are set up as if it's three players, but everything else is pretty much the same as a two player game, which is pretty typical for a solo play. And so then you're going to go through two act boards, then get to act five and then act six, right? So you're skipping two of them. When you defeat a demon, uh, instead of getting both the item and the levels, you have to pick one. So you either get the levels from the card or you get the item and keep it to equip later. Which makes sense because you are one character moving along this track and therefore you could just stop at every spot, kill all the demons, and um, do a very nice job of loading yourself up with everything you possibly could need. So they make you pick. Um, At the same time, you are going to, every time you rest, will uh, load cards into a deck that is going to be your kind of end boss situation. So like normally when you get to the final boss, you the number of cards you lay out in between fighting rounds depends on the difficulty level you set. So like the base level is like two and then one, right? The little baby pyramid, but you can make it harder by putting out three, two, one or four, three, two, one, and just having all these cards that just kind of mess with you in the solo game. The number of cards that come out depend on how often you rested and what level skills you had when you rested. So each time you rest, you count up how many skills you've completed and you add those to your deck. So you can kind of choose, but at the same time, you don't really choose because you got to rest when you need to rest. You just got to be careful with it, you know, not get too aggressive, but at the same time, make sure you get everything you need. So I have not played this multiplayer, so I don't know (laughs) how it replicates that, but it does feel like there's a good balance there in terms of making sure you are balancing out, you know, fighting things and moving along and leveling up, but not spending too long just sitting there hacking and slashing at things. So it's an interesting um, spin on that. I like the game a lot, actually. Core mechanics, very, very solid, very interesting. Um, I had a lot of fun building out my character and just hacking, slashing, getting all that loot and playing with the dice and, and completing these different combinations with the uh, focus and the the red tokens. But like you said, and I think everybody else that I've spoken to said, that final boss is... I don't know. Like, what are you doing? So, like, I get to the final boss. Both games I played, I get to the final boss. I have all my skills. I have all of the, you know, equipment's upgraded to, like, level two or three. I have all these discs, everything. I'm like, I'm good to go, right? I can do it. I felt like I rested as little as I possibly could, so I only faced, like, seven or eight cards. And maybe got halfway through both times, and he just stomped me. So, I was like, I don't... Not really sure what else I need to do there. It's, I don't know how to beat this. So, and the solo game to win, you need to beat the final boss. Like if you don't, you lose. Then that's it. That's win loss condition. So, sure, it makes sense. It all makes sense. It's a good solo game in that sense. I'm not sure how feasible it is to win uh, without just relying on the luck of the cards. So I don't know. I'll try a few more times. It's fun. I definitely want to play with real people though too and see how I do. Just. I died the least or, you know, whatever that comes out to. Yeah. I, I think that in the, the game with multiplayer version of that, the idea is to let other people kind of chop away before you have to risk yourself. But I'm really glad that they came out with the solo rules here. I mean, this is great for CGE really, you know, paying attention to where their players are at and producing something. But yeah, that last boss is a a little bit challenging and odd, but I don't know if this has been announced yet, but I'm going to announce it, even though it's probably not true. There's expansion coming. I don't know if there is, but there should be because it's a it's a it's a really solid game that just needs to be tweaked. So 
there you go, CGE. I throw the gauntlet down. I just announced you're you're coming out with an expansion. So you know what that means. You got to come out with an expansion now. Sorry, guys. Yeah, That's, it is what it is. <laughs> Fix the final boss, or give us a different one, or I don't know. I don't really know what you do there. People usually want it to be harder in expansion, but. That's not that no, because why? <laughs> Ugh. All right, so two other ones, real quick, both of these much smaller. Um, the first of them is Orchard. This is a nine card solitaire game. This actually won the Golden Geek Award for print and play two years ago, and then they put it up on Kickstarter, and I backed it and just finally got around to playing it because I found it when I was digging through my closet. Um, it's very, very quick, very simple. Uh, feels a little similar to something like Sprawlopolis where you have a deck of cards and you're laying them over the top of each other, matching things up. In this case, you have to match things up and then you place dice on top of where you matched them. And then if you layer over it again, the dice level up. So you're trying to layer things over each other as efficiently as possible and as often as possible. So you level up the dice all the way to 10 points. And then at the end, you add up all your points and see how well you did. It takes like five or 10 minutes. There's enough uh, cards in the deck. I think there's 18 cards to start with. So you'll be able to play two games just back to back with any shuffle. And I don't know. I like it a lot. It's quick. It's easy. It's fun. I can play it while I'm watching TV or something. And I'm sad that I lost it in the closet for so long because I will definitely play this more. <laughs> and then the last one is a game that I've had for a little while. And I played once when it came out. I think I reviewed this over on Every Night is Game Night actually. And just never went back to um, finished. This is a Friedman Freeze game. It is his second solo only game after Friday. And in this one, you have a deck of cards uh, that go from one to 48 and they're shuffled up in random order. And you will move through them one at a time and then activate various abilities to manipulate them and move them around and try to reorder them. And you will go through the entire deck eight times and try to get them all out in order. So you're trying to get one to 48 into the discard pile uh, by doing all these manipulations. So it's very clever, very interesting, and brutally hard. <laughs> like It's not easy to beat this game. But the one thing about it that like I think turned me off of it when I first got it is that it takes a long time because you're going through that deck so many times and there's 48 cards. It takes upwards of 45 minutes, which is a long time for like a solo-only type of game. Now, that said, it is... A very solid version of that so if you enjoy that go for it right and friday is not actually that much shorter and i was remembering like going back to that game as well it's not actually that much shorter than this one it's very similar in terms of length so it's just like if you want a big meatier solo only type of game from friedman freeze there you go you got finished so i i don't remember what i reviewed this back in the day um but now i'll say it's a solid play you know i, I rather enjoyed it as well and so i have this and orchard stacked on top of each other and just knocking out one quick and one slightly longer solo game every now and then. Um, yeah, it's nice to just have these kind of one-off, one-player-only card games uh, around if you're, like, watching TV or something. So if you're looking for that right now, uh, check them out. Orchard and uh, Finished. Very cool. All right, so I want to talk about an expansion I finally got to the table. This is one that came out in 2019. This is Wingspan. European expansion. Now, if you haven't played Wingspan, you have clearly been living under a rock for the last year. Wingspan is kind of the award-winning game from Elizabeth Hardgrave that's all about these wondrous birds and their different habitats and all of the wondrous Euro mechanics that trigger based upon where and how you place them and especially the fantastic production from Stonemaier Games. 
So you have a little birdhouse that you'll actually roll the dice that gives you food. You'll have eggs that you'll place on the cards based on what the cards do. And there's a lot of like set collections and snowball actions where everything kind of cascades off each other. It's, it's a phenomenal game. The Wingspan European expansion adds a couple of things. First up, it adds more of the same. So what you're going to get is more food tokens, more egg miniatures, and this time it's purple egg miniatures. Again, if you haven't played Wingspan, it doesn't matter what the color of the eggs are, although I still suspect at some point they're going to come back and be like, hey, remember the colors? Now it does a thing. So mark my words. So far, CGE has an expansion coming out for Sanctum, and now Stonemeyer Games has a mini expansion in which the egg color matters. So that will be happening soon. There you go, Jamie. Another job for you to do. <laughs> but it also comes with a reference tile, new score books, a new tray, which is great. Everything's in purple, which is fantastic. It also comes with five new goals, which are very much needed because when you play Wigspan, it's all about the goals that activate the end of each round. So having different goals is much, much to your benefit. There are new bonus cards that come into the game. And of course, 81 new bird cards. So if you happen to be a fan of birds or you just love the artwork out here, you're going to be pleasantly surprised here. Now, in particular, what you're getting with this expansion that is new and not just more of the same is a number of the birds in this new expansion have round end actions. So you might notice that some of the you know, the cards activate right away or they activate at certain times. These activate at the end of each round, which means that there's now a new scoring phase. And obviously there's another way to kind of like maximize your points that are not based on the traditional way that Wingspan plays. One of the biggest challenges and one of the biggest problems that I've had with Wingspan is that there are just certain combos that if a player is lucky enough to get them or, you know, how they lay out the board... You know, sometimes a two-player card combo can just be broken. You know, I've played games, and i played this, you know, game a lot, where someone's like, well, I do a thing, and then I tuck a card. I do a thing, and I tuck a card. I do a thing, and I tuck a card. And you're just like, okay, well, I'm playing the best game of my life, and this person is just winning because of those two cards. Which, again, that happens because, again, when you have so many cards in a game, there are going to be those situations. But now, having these round-end scoring opportunities does, again, it waters down the deck, but in this case, in a good way. And it also allows for new meta to kind of grow out of the, the decks. So, you know, that's fantastic because it needed some new meta and it needed some watering down. So not everyone got those crazy two or three card combos. The cards also have a new mechanic as far as having an asterisk. So based upon what you want to add to the card, based on how much food you want to give that particular bird, there's going to be a different cost and a different effect that's going to come along with it. So again, that's pretty neat because sometimes you get stuck with, you know, all berries and the bird just doesn't come around. Here, you now you have a chance to actually make those things count. As I mentioned, the end goals are great. There's going to be a bunch of them based on your food tokens, based on the number of birds in your hand, based on number of, of point cards you play in the game, number of columns that are activated. You know, there's just a number of different things that are not traditionally scored upon in the base game. So, 
hey, I have a whole bunch of food tokens. I was making a mistake or not doing something optimal. Oh, that scores? Great. Now there's a reason to actually do the thing that you were doing. Again, the uh, bonus cards do a number of different things. So based upon the body parts of the card or based upon the colors of the birds and things like that. So this adds a lot more to the game and it deals with the one major problem that I had, which was the broken combos. So for that, I'm going to give Wingspan European Expansion a buy. It's a solid buy. I love, I think Stonemaier Game does this best when they produce a game and they're like, you know what? It just maybe didn't get play tested enough or the people out there found different things that we did not see. Because again, there's never enough play testing that you could do to match the genius of all the players out there. So great job on Stonemaier to kind of release this expansion to fix a couple of things and make the game a lot more fair for everyone at the table. Next and finally, I want to talk about a really tiny little quick expansion that you actually might get now in the base game of Wingspan. So if you're picking up the current edition of Wingspan, you are also getting Wingspan Swift Start Promo Pack. Now, I remember seeing this way back when, and I was like, what is this? Why am I Am I paying extra for this? Is this coming separately? Is this something on Board Game Geek? Well, it turns out that the Wingspan that you're getting at this edition is actually coming out with 10 new cards and instruction for four players. So basically what you do is you give each of the players at your table this kind of big board of instructions and the cards, the birds, that go along with those instructions. And then it takes them through the first four turns of the game and each of the different player cards, because they're different birds and they're different instructions based upon what birds you get is teaching a different mechanic. So one player one teaches a food engine player two teaches about tucking cards. Player three teaches about getting eggs and how important they are in the game. And four is more of the kind of like mixed mechanic food card engine situation. I love this. This is great. Playing games with the family is always difficult because they're not used to the wide range of mechanics that we take for granted that we know. So giving them these boards was fantastic because I didn't have to kind of explain to each player what to do. And they got to see a card really play out and activate. So for Wingspan Swift Start Promo Pack, it's a buy. Now it comes with the newest additions. If it doesn't, and you think you're going to have a troubled time, I would say pick this up. But otherwise, it's going to come the new editions. It's a great, great have. And it's a great job by Stonemaier Games to think that, you know, people might actually need a helping hand with the teaching. Yeah, that's really cool. I think, I mean, I love when games have this stuff anyways. So it's cool that they went back and like, we should add that. Because this is very yeah. much a family game. Uh, and... I think maybe a little bit much for some people just diving into, especially with all the like media sure. coverage it got. So it's not even like gamers like us trying to play with our families. It's people who read about it in New York times going into Barnes and Noble and buying a copy. And then be like, wait a second, I've never done any of this. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. That. Yeah. Really enjoy that. I think uh, more games should come up, especially in the family range. All right. So that's everything that we got to the table. Now on to our feature review. So for our feature review this week, we are talking about the best of Queen Games. 
Queen Games has been one of our favorite publishers, and they've produced so many of our favorite games out there that we wanted to take a minute and look back at their great catalog of games and bring to you the best of the best. I own a number of these games. I've been talking about these on the Patreon episodes. How about you, Anthony? Do you own uh, any Queen games? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anything with Stefan Feld's name on it. And then a few more we're going to talk about. <laughs> kind of I have a really, really big, expensive version of one of the games I picked, too. So <laughs> I'll touch Ooh. on that. Yeah. If, if by chance you haven't stumbled across a Queen's game, there's so much to talk about here. But let's just talk about purchasing and dealing with the kind of Queen games. There's probably two things that they're really known for. One is they do big box versions of their games. And typically they do big box versions of their games, which means not just the game, but their expansions and all of their mini queenie expansions or promo expansions or mini expansions. So that's the second thing about Queen's games that most of their games have little mini expansions, just a little module that you can throw into the game that plays a little differently or has an extra option to it. So whether you're getting these big giant boxes these days, which is unusual these days, or you're picking up endless numbers of these little mini expansions, these Queenie expansions, reproducing and producing a whole bunch of Stefan Feld games. So a lot to look out for coming up with Queen games in the future. But with that said, let's get into the best of the best. So we broke it down to three categories, light, medium, and I would say heavy board games. These are not super heavy. I don't think Queen produces anything crazy heavy, nothing like a Spielworks game or a GMT game. But if you're looking to pick up a Queen game, you might want to pick up something in your family range or in your gamer group range. So, Anthony, what do you have up for us? All right. Yeah. So on the lightest end of the spectrum, uh, one of my favorite games of theirs is Richard Garfield's Treasure Hunter. This is a drafting game, of course, Richard Garfield. And it's very clever and quick. This is the kind of game I generally like to play when I want something short and simple. You will be drafting nine cards every round, and there'll be various different treasures and you know monsters to fight and all sorts of things on the board. And you'll draft all those cards, and then you'll play them out to affect and get those things on the board. And sometimes you want to have the highest of something. Sometimes you want to have the lowest of something. It varies depending on how the board is set up, but ultimately you're trying to get the most treasure value uh, based on these kind of rotating mechanics and requirements. So it's not complicated by any means, but it has enough variability that it makes a good, pretty light, you know, 30, 40 minute filler game uh, for gamers. Cause it's not, asking too much of you but at the same time it's not super simple and i could play this with my eight-year-old and his friends without any issues or i could play it with gamer friends which i have done in the past so this has been a a mainstay in my collection i'm glad i picked it up and you know as they've been known to do uh this game is very cheap i believe on amazon i think you can get it for like 15 20 bucks so well worth checking out if you like light quick simple drafting games All right, for me, my first light game is Luxor. This was a game that recently came out in 2018, and it's all about exploring and treasure hunting in the Great Pyramids of Luxor. So basically in this game, it's going to come down to a card management game in which the cards are going to be kind of a roll-and-move type of situation. 
This game was developed in partnership with Rudiger Dorn, who's produced one of my favorite games, Goa. So I was really interested and excited about this game. It has a beautiful look to it, some fantastic components. And basically, you are playing cards in your hand based on how you pick them up. So your hand stays consistent throughout. But as you play cards, you'll be able to move around the pyramid and then activate certain tiles. Those tiles will give you special benefits, special relics, special set collection kind of mechanics. This is a really fun game. There really isn't anything radically difficult to it. You just got to figure out what is the best optimal situation. So as you're moving your treasure hunters throughout the boards, who are you going to move, who's going to bump who, and how fast can you get down to the best stuff possible? It's a fun game. It had a recent expansion, 2019, Luxor the Mummy's Curse. And as I mentioned earlier, there is a good number. I think there's up to five of those little queenies that add a little bit variability to the gameplay. So if you're looking for something to play with the family, something fun, something light, but something engaging, Luxor is for you. All right. So for me in the medium level, and this is still kind of a light game, uh, some people consider it a gateway even, but a little bit heavier than Treasure Hunter is Alhambra. So Alhambra won the uh, Spiel des Jahr back in 2003, I believe, uh, designed by Dirk Hen. And this is one of the first games that I successfully was able to play uh, with my wife. So it definitely has a special place for me. And we like this. We've played it a bunch. But in general, I just love tile laying games. I love completing the pattern, following all the various placement rules, and trying to maximize the efficiency of what I'm building out. And that's what this game is. You will be drafting these different cards from an open market, each of them representing different currencies. And you will then spend these cards, similar to like a ticket to ride, to purchase these buildings from the market. So the cost will be variable depending on how they come out. But if you pay the exact cost for something, you then get to take another turn. So it behooves you to have a variable hand of cards with different numbers in there that you can pair together and get exact amounts on and not just overpay for something. Because if you overpay for something, you don't get change on it and your turn's over. You don't get that bonus action. Those bonus actions are huge in this game to be able to do well. Once you purchase those tiles, then you then need to put them into your tableau. They need to follow the various rules. There are walls that will block things off. You have to make sure you can get back to the center, uh, to the fountain in the middle. You have to try and maximize the number of um, different types of buildings you have of different colors, because that's how you're going to score in the game. And then at the same time, you have like these bonuses, like having the longest wall, you know, continuous wall on the outside of your um, Alhambra. So it's just a fun, accessible, but at the same time, deeper than you'd expect type of tiling game that I've really enjoyed. And there are so many expansions for this thing. So many, in fact, that I backed the Mega Designer Box on Kickstarter about a year or two ago, which came with everything. It had the base game, all the expansions for it, and something like 15 or 20 different mini expansions. Some of them that already existed, some of them new ones, a lot of them from like other designers, like Stefan Feld has one in there, some of the other big designers in, in Germany. So this game has definitely inspired a lot of different types of content. I recently backed the Alhambra Roll and Write, <laughs> that was on Kickstarter as well. So looking forward to that. But yeah, this is uh, if you like tiling games, if you like something simple and accessible and light, um, but at the same time with a lot of depth to it, I definitely recommend Alhambra. 
Well, for my medium weight category, I'm looking into Lancaster. Lancaster is a fantastic, pure worker placement game. But in this case, the workers are knights. You are dealing with the political and military of England, and you are trying to kind of butter yourself up to Henry V of Lancaster by controlling different families in the region and by pushing France around in uh, the kind of attack phase of Lancaster. So basically, you're placing out your knights, and your knights have different strengths, pretty simple, straightforward, one, two, three, four. And what's really interesting about Lancaster, especially as a worker placement game, and especially for new people, the thickness of the worker placement bricks with these knight stickers on them are thicker based upon how strong of a level they are. So you really do get that tactile feel. You get to see on the board how powerful someone is in a particular spot. So if you're going to challenge another player, you have to have a thick enough stack of knights and squires to be able to help you out there. So you're placing knights out into different counties in order to control them. And then as you move along, again, your conflict with France is going to score you you know, special abilities and points and stuff, as long as you meet the conditions of that battle. And that battle will be something you don't necessarily do alone. Other players might jump in or try to jump ahead to get the glory of that battle. And then finally, there's also a building up of your own particular castle. You actually get a really cool setup of a castle here. And as you're building up your castle, you're getting these kind of like planks of the castle that are going to give you special abilities throughout the game. So maybe you need more squires, maybe you need more activation cubes, more money throughout the game. And it just offers a really nice little mechanic and kind of like tableau building on top of everything else. There's also a parliamentary round in which you'll be voting for three active bills. Those are the scoring that's going to happen in the game. So it might be a situation where you might want to build up your political power in order to influence what scores to your benefit. Lancaster is a fantastic game. It's something I always wanted to add to my collection, but a lot of people in my group own it. And it's something that if you're looking to play with your game group, definitely add Lancaster to it. It's a great game by Matthias Kramer and not to be missed. All right. And then for me, the heaviest one uh, from Quig Games, also designed by Dirk Hen, is Shogun. Uh, Shogun reintroduces the... Uh, cube tower that we know and love so well uh, from Wallenstein and was later re-implemented again by Immortals. So Queen Games has put out three different games with three very different themes with the same core mechanics. So if you don't like Feudal Japan, check out Wallenstein. And if you don't like frumpy looking Europeans, check out Immortals. <laughs> I think Shogun is considered generally to be the best of the three, but I couldn't tell you why because it's the only one I've played. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> I think it has something to do with turtling. I think that's that's the, the turtling. Issue. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, anyways, Shogun is an area control game. takes place in Japan. You have this big, long map. Uh, it stretches out all the way across my table, and then you have a cube tower that is going to help decide battles. The interesting thing about this game, though, is yes, the cube tower. This is how we're going to decide the battles. But really, the most interesting thing here is the way you take your actions. There are ten possible actions that you'll take but you only have a set number to draw from at any point in time. And then you're only going to take one for each round and then you'll recycle, you know, in the next set of seasons and do it again. So when you take an action, 
that's it for that one. You need to be very economical about where you do it, how you do it. You know, if you're moving units, where are you moving them? How are you moving them if you're recruiting, et cetera? Uh, and, and the goal, of course, is to control the most areas in Japan. Um, you will be able to build various different things or take over spaces from other people where they've built things. And these will give you bonus points when the scoring happens. But at the end of the day, you have some fairly, I don't want to say straightforward, but it is not terribly complicated area control mechanics here. But the way it plays out because of the action selection, because of the way you seed the board at the beginning, because of how you decide who uh, goes first in any given round, definitely adds a ton of depth to it that's very unique to this game and this game system. So Shogun is fantastic. I have the big box version of it uh, that I picked up on sale on Amazon, of course. And I recently backed the upgraded components that were on Kickstarter a few months ago to turn that into like the super edition of that game. So I'm looking forward to that because it is a fantastic game. The components are not amazing. And I do look forward to having like a nice, you know, very attractive version of this game to play. So that is Shogun. And finally, for me on the heavy side, and probably heavy is probably not the right word here. Complex is probably the right word here because I mentioned earlier the big box and I also mentioned all the queenies. Well, this game benefits from the big box and especially all the little queenie modules that you can play into the game. The game is Fresco. Now, Fresco is brought together by three separate designers, Wolfgang Panning, Marco Rolkowski, and Marcel Sudbeck. And this is really a wondrous little game and such a beautiful, you know, aesthetic that they're providing here because basically you are in fact painting the fresco. Well, not literally, but figuratively. So basically what you're doing in this game is you are one of the artists and you have all these apprenticeships with you and you and your apprentice are going out there to do the things that you need to do in order to paint this wonderful cathedral. So first up, you have to deal with getting everybody up. The earlier you get people up, the more annoyed they happen to be, but you get a first choice of different things. And them being annoyed actually costs you money. So got to think about that. Obviously, once they're up, they're going to the market to buy paints. And that's pretty much the majority of what you're doing in the game, because picking up the paints, mixing the paints, which is another section to the game, is going to be key because the, the fresco itself is going to be covered up with all of these different tiles that are going to show you what the requirements are for that particular tile based on what it needs for the paint and based on where the bishop is on the board. If you're able to paint one of the parts of the cathedral that the bishop's on, you get additional victory points. Or if the bishop's in the general area, you'll get something in the game. The higher the point value on the tile, the more complex the paint that's required for it. So you're going to be mixing a lot of paint in the game. You're going to be visiting the theater throughout in order to pick up special goods and abilities throughout the game. There is a fantastic number of expansions into the game. You can add things like gold foil, you can other apprentices in the game, special people who can kind of help you out, some Patreons who could help you out. There's just a very wondrous, colorful, interesting, engaging game. And all the different queenies that come into the game really do add so much to the game that you're painting this grand, you know, cathedral and this fresco is going to be wondrous. And by the very end of the game, most, if not all, 
of that fresco is revealed, and you really do feel like you accomplished something wondrous in the game. All right, so that is our best of Queen games. If you haven't tried them out, please do so. There are fantastic games out there and so many games in the Queen's collection that you should take a look at. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you a seat at the table.